Blog Talk Radio. You want to replay the point? Okay. Mr. Vavrinka wants to replay the point. 15 on. Welcome to Replay the Point. Today is April 27th, 2017. Pete Zubran of Tennis Acumen joined by Jared Pine of A Second Serb. Good evening, Jared. Good evening, Pete. How are you doing? Yes, doing well. And uh, this week, Jared, we've got uh, a 500 going on on the clay in Barcelona as well as a 250 in Budapest. And we wrapped up a very exciting Masters 1000 in Monte Carlo. Mm over the weekend and we're going to first of all start with the 500 in Barcelona where Rafael Nadal is playing on a court named after him and is looking for his 10th title to match in Barcelona to match the 10th that he's won in Monte Carlo and uh, your initial thoughts on Nadal and what his prospects look like going forward. Yeah it's pretty incredible the way Rafael Nadal has dominated these two tournaments Monte Carlo and Barcelona, obviously, we talk a ton about the way he's dominated Roland Garros, and that's what he's going to be most known for. But really, this is a, a trio of tournaments that he's dominated in a way that nobody has dominated any single tournament. Um, the only ones that really come close are maybe, you know, Federer and Halla and uh, a few others. Um, you can maybe look to the women's side to look at what um, Navratilova did at a few tournaments. Um, but really, Nadal stands alone in this way. He has three tournaments where he has been absolutely, undoubtedly the king. And every year, his name's in the draw. You expect him to come away with a trophy. Yeah, I, just a quick question on that. Uh, with all due respect to his success and what he's been able to accomplish so far in 2017. And, yeah, he's getting older, obviously. But uh, as, we've, as we all know, Rafa Nadal excels when he's got plenty of match play under his belt. And, and looking at his hard court season so far, although he didn't win a title, he had a ton of match play, and that boded well for him. Uh, I think we both picked him to win Monte Carlo and possibly even uh, sweep or nearly sweep the clay court season. Uh, that said, Jared, uh, you know, Nadal at 31 years old, is it really necessary for him to be playing Barcelona? I mean, looking at Nadal uh, and, and what he's looking to do, obviously he's going to play Rome, probably Madrid, obviously Roland Garros. Uh, is, this, uh, is this a tournament that he need bother with, or is he just going to go there and dominate like he intends to? Well, yeah, a a couple things I think go into his decision to play this tournament. One is if it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, He's had some great results on the clay over the years. Obviously, last year he did have the early exit in uh, Roland Garros because of physical issues, which might make you think that he'd be a little bit hesitant, but for the most part, it's just been resounding success for him on the clay by playing all these tournaments. So, Um, really no reason for him to change it up from that perspective. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is this is in his home country. It's in Barcelona. Uh, This is where his legacy is going to live the longest. Uh, This is where he has his biggest fan base. And uh, part of this is just a a self-promotion, self-marketing thing where he's going to go out and play matches in his home country, sell a bunch of tickets, 
and watch his legacy inside his own home country grow even higher and higher. And uh, this is a great decision for him in terms of that, uh, that legacy aspect of it for him. A good point. And he's on a roll. He's playing exceptionally well. Uh, why not? But um, it, it looks good now. I'm just, uh, you know, looking at it maybe a little bit beyond, uh, not even at Roland Garros, but a little bit beyond in the season. And as we've seen, you know, Rafael Nadal still without a World Tour final title. Uh, you know, he's, he tends to run out of gas uh, later on in the year, but uh, he's got the pedal to the metal now, and he's winning, he's excelling. Why not? So I, I hear you. Great points there, Jared. And someone that who has played him exceptionally well on clay over the last few years, he's won this title himself two times, Jared. Kei Nishikori, uh, we've talked about him umpteen times, uh, either – out of tournaments, pulling out of tournaments, uh, walkovers, trainer on the court, doctor on the court, having to pull out of a match, and here he is, uh, was the number two seed, and Kena Shikori, before the uh, curtain goes up, is out of Barcelona yet again. I, I just, I don't, I've run out of things to say. I'm not really sure what even to say about Kena Shikori at this point. Your thoughts? Yeah, and I think at this point it's probably more worrying than it ever has been in the past. Reason being, the injury he listed for pulling out this time was a right wrist. And obviously in tennis, as a right-hander, your right wrist is extremely important. Uh, This means he can't even practice right now. So he can't do anything to get himself into shape uh, physically and tennis-wise for Roland Garros. Um, So that, that right now is seriously putting a major in jeopardy. And you look at what injury injury problems have done to Juan Martin Del Potro's career. We'd hate to see the same thing happen to Kane Nishikori. He's a, just a little bit younger than Juan Martin Del Potro and has that same kind of p- potential as Argentine. Um, but in in the same way, injuries have gotten in the way, and, and this might be the biggest injury yet. Usually it's a lot of little injuries that have bogged down Nishikori, whereas for Juan Martin Del Potro it's been just a handful of big injuries. Uh, this could blossom into a big injury if he's not very careful with this. The right wrist is uh, very, very important in tennis, obviously. Yeah, completely agree. And uh, this is, as you mentioned, a little more serious than uh, than previous. And uh, I like the analogy with Delpo. And, uh, yeah, we wish Kanish Corey well. And uh, hopefully he'll find the right uh, ingredient or ingredients, if you will, to be able to uh, – continue on the tennis court going forward and jared you know looking at the uh the last remaining guys in the quarterfinals in barcelona some household names there but uh, a couple of non-household names a couple of asian guys uh sugita from japan who i saw defeat alexander zverev in cincinnati last year he's in the quarterfinals going to play team and then wow what a big upset and uh, not only the upset but the scoreline Yong Chung, 6-1, 6-4 over Alexander Zverev. Just a, a shock uh, result, in my opinion, and uh, prevents another Zverev-Nadal showdown. Uh, obviously, uh, Nadal took care of him quite handily in Monte Carlo, although the two have had some good hardcourt uh, battles over the, uh, over, the last few, uh, over the last year or so. But uh, Sugita and Chung, two Asian guys in the last eight in Barcelona, uh, that's a big upset. Yeah, and both guys coming into this tournament unseated for Chung taking out Istaman, who obviously this year beat Djokovic. That's uh, probably what Istaman is going to be known for when he does Mm -hmm. 
end up retiring. Um, so he beats Istaman, then takes out uh, Philip Kohlschreiber, 6-3, Nice win for him. And as you mentioned, Zverev. So three really nice wins right in a row for Chung. And I've been extremely impressed with the progress he's made on clay. That was kind of his big question mark when he made that jump from the challenger ranks to the ATP world tour was that almost all of his matches were exclusively on hard courts. He had basically zero experience on clay and real match play. Um, and so that was a big question mark for him. And here he is now in the quarterfinals of a 500 beating seated players. And now he has a chance to go up against Nadal. I believe this will be his first meeting with Nadal. So this is a, this is a huge opportunity for Hyun Chung. Uh, but already a big success just reaching the quarterfinals. Um, if he can continue to play like this on clay, given what we know he can do on grass and hard courts, uh, this bodes really well for him. Yeah, and he's not dropped a set, Jared, in, in beating the guys that you mentioned. And, you know, looking at the qualifying draw, uh, took out Gulbis in straight sets in round one. Obviously, Gulbis having all kinds of problems, but that's still a big win. And then following that up with uh, taking out Guido Pea of uh, Argentina in the second round, uh, Hyung Chung, 10-0 and in sets, counting qualifying uh, big ask to uh, continue that against Nadal, but he is rolling, and I like what you said. We know what he can do on hard courts and grass, but uh, doing what he's doing on clay uh, somewhat of a surprise. What do you think is working in his game that he's been able to figure this out in Barcelona? Well, yeah, he's always been someone that is very comfortable from the back of the court, which obviously is important on clay. Um, He can hit it well from both the forehand and the backhand, which means he doesn't have to run around a lot of balls when he's playing on a clay court. That means his movement becomes less of a factor and it just becomes about ball striking. He's always been a very pure ball striker. He has some funky ground strokes and uh, you always do a double take when you see his backhand. You just can't believe the way he hits it. And really the same could be said of his forehand. It's just a a strange way to hit the ball, but it works. It's so pure. And um, yeah, so I think things are just coming together. He's, He's starting to feel more comfortable in clay. He's learning how to construct points. And uh, he's really progressed very rapidly. It's been impressive. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely right. And um, we're going to shift gears now. Uh, The finalist, Jared, in the Monte Carlo Masters, uh, Ramos Vinolas, really nice wins. Obviously took out Andy Murray, got all the way to the final um, to to match up against Nadal. But here he is the second week uh, in his hometown, I believe, in Barcelona. He finds himself in the quarterfinals. Uh, he's going to take on none other than Andy Murray again, and uh, exciting to see what he might be able to do. Uh, got a bye in the first round, took out Struff, the German who's had some good success on clay already this year, and took out Batista Gut in three. Can he do it again against Andy Murray? Yeah, this is going to be a big ask for him. I, I, I wouldn't say that he'd be able to. I don't think he will. Um, but I didn't think he'd be in the quarterfinals, so he's already proven me wrong once. I think what I've always said is what separates the big four from the rest is that when the big four have a big week, there's not a big lull that follows that. They have a, they reach the final in one tournament, and they're into the next tournament the next week expecting to reach the final. And with guys outside the big four, they'll go on these runs, they'll upset a few players, they'll reach a final, maybe even win a title, and then the next week they're out in the first round. We see this all the time. Um, but Ramos right now, he's been the exception to that. He reaches the final Monte Carlo, comes right back, gets a couple wins. He's into the quarterfinals in Barcelona and has a chance against Andy Murray again. 
So he's proven me wrong already in that respect. Uh, so let's see what he can do against Murray. But um, I, I will be surprised if he if he gets this win. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. Uh, you know, the quarterfinals we do have here, Jared. Murray against Ramos Finolis, uh and, and rounding out the top half. Dominic Team against Sugita. Bottom half, we've got Chung, as we mentioned, against Nadal. And then, um, uh, oh, computer just froze here for a second. Uh, we're going to talk about the top half for just a second. Uh, I do like Andy Murray to take that uh, take that win, but I'm going with Dominic Team to come out of the top half. Uh, the bottom half again, we've got Chung. And uh, Nadal and then Karen Kachanoff, uh, who's had a very good run here, is taking out Zabios, who uh, we know also has a win over Nadal when Rafa was coming back uh, back in the day. Uh, we You would ask for some predictions. I'm actually going with uh, with the final of Dominic Team and Rafa Nadal and Nadal to win this. How about yourself? Well, I'll definitely agree with Rafael Nadal winning the tournament. I have a tough one on on this top half. I keep getting burned for picking Murray and team, uh, but it'd have to be crazy to pick either Ramos or Sigita. So my options are really just to get burned again by Murray or team. So whoever I pick is, is not going to make it. So I'll, I'll go with Murray into the final. Um, I'll, I'll say Murray beats team in that semifinal there and then loses to Rafael Nadal. I think Rafael Nadal playing just too well. He he has been in cruise control against his opponents lately, and uh, he's going to have plenty in the tank for that final. Yeah, and uh, just uh, before we leave Barcelona, Casper uh, Ruud of Norway got through qualifying, got a first-round win over Elbot, and uh, lost to Ramos Vinolas. Uh Played a very good match, uh, 7-6-6-4 loss, competed well. Uh, any expectations for Ruud going forward in the clay court season here? Yeah, Clay's his best surface, so this is his chance to really show what he's made of. A, a nice win there. Pretty cool to see Moldova playing against Norway. Uh, we haven't yeah. seen down the ATP much recently. So, yeah, it's a great win for Rude, and um, let's see what he can do from here. I'd like to see him uh, playing some 250s. I'm not sure what exactly he has scheduled, uh, but this is his chance to shine. Yeah, good call. And uh, concurrent right now to Barcelona, Jared, we've got a 250 in Budapest, Hungary, uh, Luca Pui, the number one seed, is alive and well. Uh, he's going to be taking on Klezon, uh the rest of the top half. Kuznetsov against Lorenzi uh, going down. We got Verdasco and then uh, Karlovic, who continues to play well, taking on the Brit Bedin, who's had a nice run as well. But, um, yeah, a lot of lot going on here. Uh, first off, we're going to talk about some of the early results uh, Bjorn Frantangelo takes out Gilles Simone, who, let's not forget, gave Novak Djokovic all kinds of headaches in Monte Carlo. Huge win for Frantangelo here. Yeah, absolutely. This is this is great to see him go out to Budapest and get a win. Um, he is the only oh, – yeah, Ryan Harrison was there. Uh, I, I thought Ryan Harrison was there. I had to look at the draw again to make sure. Yeah. So he was one of only two Americans – and the draw gets the first-round win coming through qualifying, beating Simone. That's a really impressive win. Uh, he's always been a little bit different than the rest of the Americans in terms of his his style of play, what he likes, what he's comfortable with. And here he is in Hungary looking pretty comfortable, getting a win over Gilles Simone, uh, 6-4, 6-1. That's a really impressive result for him. Completely agree. Very, very nice win. And, um 
Yeah, I, you know, looking at this, uh, we're, we're going to work our way backwards going with predictions here, and uh, obviously a lot of tennis to be played, but um, I'm going with the final of Martin Clizon and Fernando Verdasco. Clizon, let's not forget, won a couple of 250s last year, Rotterdam, and on the clay of Hamburg. Um, got a lot of points to defend coming up in Hamburg, and I think he's going to make good on that. Maybe not getting the win in the final, but I'm I'm predicting him to take out Luca Pui in the next round and then uh, making good on that to reach the final. I think Verdasco is going to get the job done, uh, probably taking out uh, Karlovic in the, in the other semifinal. But I've got a Verdasco over Klezan final. And again, Klezan, the winner of two 500s last year. How do you see Barcelona? Or excuse me, Budapest. Yeah, I kind of like Laszlo Giri on the bottom half of the draw. Maybe this is a little bit of Serbian bias on my part, but the guys in the draw are not going to be familiar with his game. They really don't know much about him. They're probably, Verdasco right now is probably on YouTube trying to find some videos of him. Uh, there's just not a lot out there on, on Giri, and so he's going to have the huge advantage of being completely familiar with Verdasco's game from watching him on television all these years. And uh, he's also very good on clay, so I think... He could certainly make that upset, um, and this isn't a very strong bottom half of the draw, so I think there's definitely yep. opportunity for him as a young player to get through there. And then on the top half, I like Pui. That was a big test for him in the first round, going up against mm-hmm. Yuri Vaselli. Needed a third set tiebreaker, but he got through it. He's still alive, the number one seed, and he's been putting together some really good results this year. I think he'll have no problem bouncing back from that long match and uh, making his way all the way to the title. Yeah, and uh, 39-year-old Tommy Haas got a win, uh, obviously, in Monte Carlo, but uh, Karlovic, uh, almost where he is age-wise, and he continues to roll on. Uh, he'll play Patin, and uh, I see him getting through that match before losing to Verdasco in the semis. Um, how is Evil Karlovic able to keep going at this point in your mind? Yeah, the most incredible thing about this is he beat Zoomer in a three-set match None of those three sets went to a tiebreaker. None of them were even 7-5. He won the first set 6-1, which means he broke at least twice, maybe three times in that set. Um, Ivo Karlovic couldn't do this when he was 25 in his physical prime, but somehow at, what is he now, 38 years old, he's able to do this. Um, This just goes against all common sense in tennis. Uh, Yeah, it's hard to explain, but you can't argue with the results. Karlovic... Uh, just having some great success in the last 12 months or so. And um, let's see how long you can keep doing this. It's it's really incredible. Yeah, I know you like Puy up top, but uh, do you have Karlovic getting to the final here in Budapest? No, I'm going with Jerry down there on the bottom half. I like him to get all the way to the final. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's had to go through qualifying, already beat Trick. Tritsky, um, that's a great win for him, and I think beating both Verdasco and Karlovic is doable for him. Yeah, interesting. Uh, that'll that'll uh, be very intriguing and uh, nice to see, obviously, getting some momentum if that indeed happens. And, Jared, anything else from uh, Barcelona or Budapest before we take a look back at what happened in Monte Carlo last week? Yeah, it's just two good tournaments right in the middle of the year. Um, this is kind of the heart of the clay season, so it, it, you can call this the road to Madrid. Um, so these are some fun events. Uh, get a chance to see some great players on the European clay. Yep, absolutely. And um, going to go back to the weekend and a little earlier last week, Rafael Nadal getting his 10th uh, 
tenth title in Monte Carlo, just absolutely incredible. Obviously, you won a bunch of them in a row. Uh, we saw Djokovic get a couple. Stan got one as well, but Rafa back to it. Um, some will say, okay, he didn't play a top ten player and route. No problem. Uh, he was really in cruise control and. Jared, in my opinion, really the upset of the tournament as far as Rafael Nadal is concerned is how on earth does he give uh, Kyle Edmund a bagel then lose the second set 5-7 before correcting course? That's uh, Ed, Kyle Edmund, all credit to him, broke Rafael Nadal three times in that match. And uh, uh, Edmund's got to feel pretty good about himself the way he competed after really not having a great 2017 today. But I can't fathom what happened in that second set. How about you? Yeah, Edmund, unlike most Brits, is very good on the clay, feels comfortable there. And I think one of the things when you play Nadal, no one serves quite the way Nadal does. And I think Edmund was probably thrown off a little bit by that in the first set. In the second set, made some adjustments, getting used to that lefty serve, and started getting a better read on it. Um, and, then, you know, it took Nadal making another adjustment in the third set. And so, yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to see that match, but I imagine it was a bit of a chess match out there. Um, with the way Nadal was serving, how Edmund was returning that. And, uh, yeah, it looked like Nadal corrected course there in the third set because that one set he lost to Edmund, the only set he lost all tournament. Yeah, and uh, Ramos Vinales, we've talked about him a little bit a couple of times on the show, but have to give him credit, a number up to number 19 in the world. Uh, again, we've, we've seen the big four winning these uh, Masters 1000s dominating them and to even for somebody to even reach a final is all credit to them that's what uh, Ramos Vanellis did again the win over Andy Murray along the way and uh, some nice results uh, after that to to even reach the final obviously was overmatched against Nadal but um, I don't know and as far as I'm concerned this came out of nowhere and we don't often see this on the ATP tour any any idea what happened in the world of Romos Vanales uh, here uh, that he, in, in my opinion, played the week of his life, but he's trying to duplicate that this week here as well. Yeah, absolutely. Got up to a career high ranking of 19. I, I think when we looked at the draw, when we came out, we knew the top half was a little bit weaker. And with him upsetting Andy Murray, that really opened things up. But still, uh, reaching the, the final of a 1,000 is a big deal. That's a that's a great result for him. He's someone that's been in the top 100 for a few years now, um, but really hasn't gotten too high in the rankings. For him now to be top 20, um, that's really a culmination of a lot of good results for him over the last 12 months. This, obviously, as you mentioned, the biggest one. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, David Goffin, we're going to talk about him. He, with his result uh, to the semi, Jared, gets back into the top ten. You know, we, we looked at what he was able to accomplish getting back-to-back semis on the hard courts last year at both Indian Wells and Miami. Great accomplishment for him. Uh, got into the top ten earlier this year, and we're thinking, okay, uh, that's great for him. I don't know if he'll be able to get back, but uh, here he is getting the final, excuse me, semifinal of Monte Carlo. Big, big win over Novak Djokovic. It, it took him a few match points to be able to finally get through that, but uh very heroic effort indeed. A um, couple points here. We're going to talk about GoFan, first of all, in his run. Uh, second point, um, got jobbed big time uh, against Rafael Dahl midway through the first set. Was playing well, playing a great tournament. A lot of momentum, a lot of confidence. And unfortunately, Cedric Morier uh, blew the call. And uh, they did replay the point, the name of our show. But uh, 
that jobbed GoFan here and really, you know, the the that took all the all the wind out of the sails of this match. People were leaving near the end of the first set. They knew it was over. Uh, GoFan, I think, knew it was over. Nadal certainly knew it was over. But um, want to talk number one about GoFan, what he was able to do, and number two, uh, clay court tennis. Uh, is it time for Hawkeye here? This is. Uh, Almost, uh, I'm all about tradition, but this is almost too primitive. Uh, when there's a lot of points, there's a lot of money, there's a lot of ranking uh, ranking points on the line, and uh, it's just fair to the guys to be able to go to a replay if we need to. But uh, let's first talk about uh, David Goffin and what he's able to accomplish on the positive side. Yeah, we, we'll start with that. Um, a great effort for him against Novak Djokovic came back from down a break in that third set. Uh, which is very tough to do when you're the underdog to fall behind in a deciding set. Uh, usually that's the death sentence for most most players. Um, great effort for Gofan to dig in, show some grit, get that break back, and apply some pressure on Djokovic. And a lot of times when you put pressure on, on the favorite in a match, um, sometimes they're going to mishandle that. And that was certainly the case for Djokovic. He kind of choked there towards the end, and Gofan took full advantage of it. Uh, a great effort by him to keep that close and not let Djokovic run away with that third set because it really looked like Djokovic was going to. I believe he had a couple chances to even get a double break lead. Gofan prevented that, and I think that was the key for him winning that match. Good call. And um, Hawkeye, uh, I, I, my, my question here, uh, Larry Ellison, we know all the good things he's done at Indian Wells. Um, hypothetically, Larry Ellison – owns a clay court masters 1000 do we do we see hawkeye in every court like we have at any wells or uh you know kind of bucking tradition i i think it's long overdue and uh again the traditionalist in me likes the fact seeing the guy in the chair come out of the chair and look and inspect the mark but uh we're seeing wrong marks here and in the case of the semi-final the masters 1000 it just it killed the match in my opinion yeah, exactly. Um, Stan Wawrinka wants to replay the point, but David Gofan <laughs> sure didn't. And, um, yeah, it was unfortunate what happened there. Obviously, when an umpire does get a call wrong and we have the benefit of seeing Hawkeye and we see that he gets it wrong, that's going to be a big deal. Um, the truth is this doesn't happen all that often. The vast majority of times the umpire will get it right. Um, every once in a while you'll have Trowitzki blow up, grab the camera, and show the mark to the heavens. Um, but for the most part, the umpires do get this right. Here's the one thing I think is weird is that the ATP made up this rule that you have to have a certain margin of error, and the margin of error is completely arbitrary. It really seems like the ATP just made, just said, okay, Hawkeye's this accurate. Well, we're going to set the standard just a little bit higher than that to prevent us from using Hawkeye on the clay. And it, it really just seems like a very arbitrary decision. I'd like to know what the reasoning behind that decision, how they determined what a fair um, margin of error would be. Uh, I, I really don't get it. We have the Hawkeye in all these courts. I'd like mm-hmm. to use it at least to know that we're looking at the right mark because it sounds like this is a case where the umpire is not even looking at the right mark. Uh, you can always use Hawkeye to at least determine what which mark is the right one. Um, so, yeah, it's it's unfortunate what happened. There are ways to fix it. Of course, if you're both looking at the mark and at Hawkeye, then you have a bit of a pace of play issue. Um, but what, what are we going to prioritize, pace of play or getting the right call? 
Um, for me, right. getting the right call is always more important, but I'm not the one who who wants tennis matches to be over in half an hour. Um, I, I love the long tennis matches. Yeah, completely agree. And, uh, Jared, before we move on from uh, Monte Carlo and into the challenger world at this point, anything else uh, that jumped out at you from the Monte Carlo Masters? Yeah, it was a, a great effort for Rafael Nadal to pick up El Decimo. Um, you know, th- this is just really incredible what he has done at this tournament and uh, he's continuing to do. And uh, it was such a dominant performance. None of his sets uh, were any closer than 6-4, aside from the one set he lost from Kyle Edmund in his first-round match. So from there on out, he completely dominated the tournament. And uh, the title is just never in doubt. And it's such a unique feeling that you get with Nadal, where you know when he enters into these clay tournaments, he's going to win the title. Uh, You don't get that sense with any other player at any tournament, with the exception perhaps of Federer at Halla. Uh, that's really the only thing that comes close in tennis to what Nadal does. Great call. I, I like that. And uh, we're going to talk about some challenger tennis here. Francis Diafo continues to climb up the ATP rankings, gets a win over Tennis Sandgren. And Yanko Tipsarovic, I believe this is his third challenger title of the year, Jared. Uh, I think he's up to 64 or so in the world. Uh, he's working his way back. And uh, a veteran using the challenger system to uh, to climb back into it. Tiafo using it to climb as a youngster to get to uh, where he's going to get in some main draws. So some nice stories in both cases. Yeah, absolutely. For Tipsarovic, a, a former top 10 player that's trying to make his way back the hard way. He's going through the challengers. He's paying his dues. He wins the title last week. This week he's into the quarterfinals at Anning. Um, so two really good results in a row. As, as you mentioned, he's had great results on the Challenger Tour all season. Uh, I'm excited to see him back onto the ATP World Tour here pretty soon. His rankings getting up there now where he doesn't need to play too many Challenger events. So I expect we'll see him at Roland Garros and probably from there on out playing World Tour events. Uh, so that will be pretty exciting. And then as for Tiafo playing in Sarasota, and this week he did pull out of Tallahassee. These are events, Sarasota, Tallahassee, and you're going to have to help me with Savannah is the other one. Those three tournaments decide which uh, USA player will receive the wild card into Roland Garros. I believe it was Tiapa who got it last year. I don't think he'll mm-hmm. need it this year. I think his ranking will be high enough. Um, but yeah. these three tournaments are very important because it's essentially Roland Garros qualifying. Yeah, good call, and um, absolutely, and and we've got one going on now in Tallahassee. Blaj Rola, who I've seen play in in Cincinnati, obviously uh, played his college tennis at Ohio State, uh, about uh, 80 miles north of Mason, Ohio, uh, doing well there. And we talked about him on the show last year, Jared, where he decided to go play in uh, South America instead of competing, if you will, uh, for the uh, Roland Garros wild card. Yeah, and here he is this year having some great results. Takes out two UCLA players, beats Marcus Gyron and Dennis Novikov. So uh, the former Buckeye beating two Bruins. Uh, it's pretty cool to see Big Ten guys are uh, going up against Pac-12 guys. So uh, pretty cool to see college tennis getting the spotlight here on the Challenger Tour. Um, you even have Bradley Klon in the draw from Stanford, uh, another UCLA guy and. um Mackenzie McDonald, so some really good. This is basically a college all-star tournament, uh, so it, it's really pretty cool to see. 
Yeah, I have to ask you about McDonald. You know, um, seeing him in Cincinnati, Jared, got a wild card into qualifying, uh, beat Mahu, beat Steve Johnson uh, in two qualifying matches to get into the main draw, even before entering his freshman year at UCLA. And people are like, number one, who is this guy? How did this happen? Uh, guy who's not even played college tennis beats, you know, the – annual All-American and Steve Johnson to, to reach the, the main draw. That was, uh, you know, four or five years ago. Um, here he was in the Masters 1000 main draw in Cincinnati, and now you mentioned Mackenzie McDonald and uh, playing challengers and whatnot. Have, do you, have you expected more from him, and uh, are, are we going to see anything from him going forward? Well, I, I do think he does have a few physical limitations in that he's shorter than a lot of players, um, a little bit skinnier. He does he just doesn't possess the power of a lot of guys, uh, but he has some very clean ground strokes, technically solid. Um, whoever coached him when he was younger did an excellent job. You can tell the fundamentals for him are just off the charts, um, but he is lacking a little bit in those physical attributes. Um, but his movement is great. He's lightning quick around the court. The way he slides on a hard court is very impressive. It's un-American, if you will. Um, I, I really enjoyed watching him play when I got to see him at the Claremont Futures event. Uh, he made a run there to the final where he eventually lost to Dayton Boffman, who's now an assistant coach at USC. Um, but, yeah, I've always been very impressed by Mackenzie McDonald, he just doesn't have a lot to work with on the physical side, but he's definitely maximized his potential at this point in his career. Yeah, I, I like when I hear that. Uh, obviously, someone who is uh, who, who's taking it as far as they can doesn't always necessarily have the gifts uh, and talent as, as as other people. Obviously, he's got talent, but uh, I like uh, your analysis of that, Jared. He's doing the best he can with what he's got, and he's maxing it, and uh, it's all he can ask from anybody. And uh, we talked about the Tallahassee Challenger with Rolla playing in there. Jared, concurrent to that, this is a 75K, uh, the Anning Challenger in China. Uh, double that, and yet, uh, you know, we don't see any Americans going over there. Sometimes we think it's about the money and the points, but uh, these guys tend to stay home, and which we're seeing here in Tallahassee. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is an interesting one. When you look at the average ranking of the seeded players in Anning, it's 124. In Tallahassee, it's 123, basically meaning the Tallahassee draw is slightly better when you have half as, half as much prize money available and slightly more than half the ranking points. So really a lot less incentive to go play Tallahassee, yet the better players still want to be there. And this is why when I do my top 20 under 20, I tend to leave the East Asian guys a little bit lower um, than what their ranking might suggest they should be. This is the case a lot of the time where you have these big tournaments in China and the good players just don't show up. And so the players mm -hmm. that are already there in China, Korea, Japan, they just go over to these tournaments, dominate a weaker field, pick up a ton of ranking points, get a great ranking, but they aren't they're good players, but they're not great players. And um, so I think – Sometimes some of these Eastern Asian guys are getting their rankings a little bit inflated. It'd be nice to see some of these American guys take advantage of that so that they aren't fighting with each other over wild cards, over points and, and prize money at these small challenger events. Um, I think it'd be great if some of these American guys spread out a bit. Um, obviously I, I do understand the desire to stay at home and compete. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of a, a tough situation for these American guys right now.
I could agree more. I, I would like to see them spread out as well. You know, we've had some some guests on our show uh, who really thoroughly enjoy talking about some of the remote areas that they've played in Challengers and what was unique about that. And, you know, Tallahassee, Florida, yeah, we can all get there uh, with, with seemingly no problem. But going to play in China where, again, double the prize money, double the points, uh, this could be, you know, as we know, one good result in a tournament, you you get into some more and you can parlay that and go forward. And, uh, Jared, uh, next week we've got three concurrent 250s, Munich, Esterol, and Istanbul. Uh, Almagro, the defending champion Esterol, uh, you know, he may very well go down elevator shaft uh, very quickly with, with not being able to defend that if he's, if he's not successful. Um 250 City here going forward before we hit a couple of uh, 1,000s in Madrid and Rome. Uh, obviously a breather week with 250s before Roland Garros, but uh, anything to look out for coming into next week? Uh, you know, this is where some guys can really pick up some points or in some cases their very first ATP tournament win. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, there's a chance to put the spotlight in some of the other guys. We'll see a few good players show up for these events, uh, but usually they're not putting their best foot forward, get out early, and uh, we get to see someone else take over the spotlight. So a good chance to see just how deep tennis is on the ATP. Um, There really are great players, one through 100, um, and sometimes they don't get the credit they deserve. Well, this is a week where that's not the case. These guys uh, get the spotlight, and I'm excited to see who takes advantage of it. Yep, and just uh, fast-forwarding, this announcement came out earlier in the week, Jared, and this has gone back and forth several times. I'm referring to John Isner uh, deciding to play Winston-Salem, and this is a guy who you look at his career, he's got a grand total of one quarterfinal in a major that was at the U.S. Open, and you you look and you scratch your head and you you really can't figure it out. I mean, he's taken the doll to five sets at Roland Garros, gotten to a Cincinnati final, uh, can really play with anybody. And yet, uh, Isner, yes, he's from North Carolina. He's going to play Winston-Salem. But we, we just see it time and time again where guys who play that week before a major just fizz, tend to fizzle out very early. Perhaps this could be, in, the, in this case, a good tonic for Isner, uh, not really having the year that he's looking forward to that he expected per se. Uh, just your thoughts on uh, Isner deciding to play, even though this is out in August. Yeah, it's always an interesting one when he decides to do this rather than, you know, get prepared for the majors. Um, At this point in his career, he's going to be remembered for these smaller titles that he won. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's so hard to see him winning a major with the style of tennis that he plays, best of five, seven matches. I I just can't see it happening for him. So for him to go out and win these, these smaller tournaments, fill up his trophy shelf, uh, that's not a bad way to go at all. Yeah, good call. And uh, before we wrap up tonight, anything else uh, from last week, this week, going forward, uh, clay court season, Roland Garros, any of the above? Well, as I mentioned, these three tournaments going on in the United States right now on the green clay, uh, it's been fun to see how the young American guys actually really dominate on the green clay which is obviously different than red clay. We haven't seen Mm -hmm. that transfer over to success on the red clay yet, but the guys um, really like the green clay at this point and they're playing well. And right now they're playing for a spot in Roland Garros. So these are big tournaments going on these three events. 
uh, even though the ranking points and prize money may not be there as much, there's a spot at Roland Garros on the line. So uh, these guys are going to be fighting hard for that. Yeah, not only that, uh, obviously a main draw appearance, but uh, a very nice paycheck as well for being a, even a first-round participant at a major. So absolutely, Jared, good time of the year. A lot of excitement going on. We've got Nadal looking for number 10, Barcelona. He's got some challengers along the way and, again, some uh, interesting combatants in, in Budapest as well. And so on behalf of Jared Pine, this is Pete Zebron saying good night. We will catch you next time on Replay the Point. Good night.